Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk, executive producer Rob Perra. Danny will be conducting interviews here every day, talking with experts on food and agriculture and discussing topics like the impact of COVID-19 on the food system, unsung food heroes, how climate change continues to be a threat to agriculture, and other pressing social and environmental challenges that impact farmers, eaters, and the economy. On today's episode, Danny talks with Gary Michael, co-founder and CEO of Farm to Me, a food e-delivery service that specializes in local food, about how fresh food delivery is more important than ever in the face of COVID-19. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And also share this episode on your social media channels. Enjoy the show. Before we begin the show today, I want to give a shout out to a member of the Food Tank family, Victoria Pollock. She is the wife of my co-founder, uh, Bernard Pollock, and she is in a doctoral nursing program at uh, Columbia University. And she started with, you know, hundreds of her colleagues today uh, working to um, treat people who are afflicted with COVID-19. So my heart goes out to her. She's a very special person. And I want to give her um, a, a shout out and all of the people who are really working on the front lines of this, from grocery store workers and truck drivers to nurses and doctors and all of the people who are making sure literally that we all stay alive and stay healthy and fed during this time. So thank you, Victoria, and thank you to all of those who are who are doing their, their best to, to keep us all safe. Um, today, I get to talk to someone who, who's really interesting because his background is is also in medicine, and that is Gary Michael, the co-founder and CEO of Farm to Me. Um, he is a former professor of medicine and immunological sciences, a word that's hard for me to pronounce, apparently, um, and has a background uh, in, in lots of different uh, medical settings as director at uh, the Bellevue Hospital of Pediatric Emergency Medicine for both New York University Hospital and Bellevue Hospital. Uh, in disaster preparedness and response. He also co-founded, as I mentioned, this really cool uh, way to create transparency in the food system, and that's called Farm to Me. And he's created um, with his co-founder a a local food distribution model um, that's very, very interesting. So Gary, before we start, I just want to make sure that everyone in your family and your colleagues are all safe and healthy at this time. I know it's a it's a really uh, stressful time for everyone right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much, Danny, for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Um, you know, as, as anyone, everyone in this country, um, you know, I know people who have been affected by this uh, virus. Um, and, um, you know, makes obviously this mission and, and, and our work, I'm sure you're, you've been affected on that much more difficult. But, you know, this is the time where, you know, when local food and medical personnel across the entire country have to step up um, and do their job um, and do what basically they, their, their mission is to do. Um, so yeah, you know, we're staying busy. I'm sure you are. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you are. You have such an interesting perspective on this as somebody who's both, a, you know, a really staunch local food advocate as well as a medical professional. Tell me how, I mean, I, I think the, the farm to me model is very interesting and I want you to give maybe a short description and then yeah. we can get into how, you know, you went from medical stuff to, to sure. food stuff. Sure. So, I mean, Farm to Me um, is a platform that uh, basically acts at a, as a database for local and organic food producers, farmers, food makers, distributors, uh, 
you know, wholesale clients and press. Um, you know, I think at this point, most people that are watching this um, and know a little bit more about the local food space than um, people knew back when we started in 2010. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, the idea at that time when there wasn't much of a network, the only presence was an organization like Local Harvest. Um, we wanted to connect the country and create a database that was very transparent, um, that was very connected, um, that was accessible and convenient, um, not just for consumers, and, but also eventually what we saw for wholesale clients who could buy this stuff and support the industry, um, for government organizations. I'm sure that, you know, that's a lot of the stuff that you do, you know, advoc advocating for the stuff to the government and policymakers. Um, and, you know, all that stuff has kind of come true um, over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then specifically how I got into this for medicine is that, you know, my, my background um, has always been in medicine. I've, I've, I've worked in hospitals since I was 14 years old. Wow. Um, I, you know, went to university to study and graduate school to study medicine to eventually go on to medical school. And I, like most people who come into this organic industry, got sick. And by getting sick, I really started reevaluating where I wanted to be, how I wanted to play a part in the healthcare system. I wanted to get more involved in preventative medicine. I feel like this was going to be a great opportunity. I saw the niche that there was this missing piece, this idea of, you mm -hmm. know, consolidating the industry and educating the consumers. Um, and we just, you know, it happened at a time when nobody was really, there were definitely organizations talking about it, but nobody was really consolidating on a national mm -hmm. international scale. And that's kind of where I came um, into um, creating Farm to Me with some amazing co-founders. Um, again, and uh, what was really cool is I, in 2012, during Hurricane Sandy, um, I got to kind of combine my background in medicine, specifically in disaster preparedness and response for the federal government mm -hmm. and my local and organic food network and bring these directors from hospital networks together with our team right. to build a disaster relief model using food as a way to prevent people from getting sick um, at a time when hospitals were down, groceries were down, Absolutely. restaurants were down. Very similar to what we're experiencing right now. So, Right. Yeah. I mean, an e-commerce model like farm to me can literally be a lifesaver. So what are you doing? You know, how, how, how has your model sort of changed because of COVID-19? Yeah, of course. So, you know, what's cool is the model has changed, but it's also kind of changed relative to the, to the model that it was three weeks ago. It's mm -hmm. very actually similar to our model during Hurricane Sandy. Um, mm -hmm. First thing I did, you know, was jump on a call with directors of disaster preparedness and response. That was two and a half weeks ago. Um, we identified what the problems are going to be. Supply chain issues, distribution issues, um, you know, very similar to the actual article that you put up on LinkedIn yesterday um, pertaining to how this is going to affect the agricultural work, how this is going to affect the supply chain. Right. Um, you know, identifying that grocery stores, similar to what happened in Sandy, instead of going down, are now empty. Um, restaurants, similar to Sandy, you know, instead of going down and flooding, shut down um, due to quarantine in many, in many instances. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about how, how some of these different channels have pivoted in order to be able to respond to COVID. Um, the next thing we did is we contacted, you know, different partners on the farm to me side, um, producers, uh, farmers markets, wholesale clients, distributors. And we right away, two and a half weeks ago, started piloting different programs that we knew would work. Um, we saw work during Hurricane Sandy. And so we made contacts to organizations like Baldor, uh, Farmers Markets, um, like the Hastings Farmers Market, um, 
you know, producers themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in like some of those lessons that came out of Sandy that are helping right now. What, what really, you know, what was the biggest thing you learned from Sandy that's helping you address this crisis? Absolutely. Uh, first thing we need to set up community hubs. Um, what didn't exist then exists now. We have farmers markets in every community in the country, um, tenfold the amount of farmers markets we had in 2012. So we contacted farmers market to set, to set up hubs. Um, and those hubs are very similar to Sandy in the sense that the community can come and pick up produce from the farmer's market. Now, the difference between this and Sandy is that we don't want an a la carte model. We don't want consumers touching produce, contaminating produce, um, contaminating the farmers that are at the farmer's market and the staff that are volunteering. So we piloted a program where we want to pitch a CSA drive-up pickup model where a consumer can come, place the order through an e-commerce platform at the farmer's market's Facebook page, a coordinate for a certain time of pickup, drive up. The farmer's market volunteers already have a prepackaged CSA box ready to go um, or a produce box. Um, if people aren't familiar with what a CSA box is, just a generic produce box where you don't really know what's coming, but enough produce for you to feed your family and then drive away. Um, and it's it's amazing. Again, an article it's I brilliant. read. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, an interview yeah. we read, uh, we watched a week ago um, on this show. I actually interviewed somebody from the Mill Farmer's Market in Minnesota on the exact same subject. So it's scaling. Um, we saw distributors playing a part, uh, wholesale distributors playing a part during Sandy. Um, we, as a, as a distribution organization, actually had to um, stir up volunteers to drive. Um, U-Haul donated trucks at that time. The idea is a distribution model that's bring wholesale product to these hubs um, and also directly to the consumers because we have a lot of vulnerable populations that we're living in buildings, a lot of people who can't leave their homes right now, um, who need produce, who need food. Um, and so the uh, B2B model was we contact an organization like Balder and suggested, hey, if you have trucks and you have software, why not convert that um, to a B2C model, right? Um, and ultimately, really, can we convert a B2B to distribute to a farmer's market as the farmer's market's demand right, increases? To, to be able to feed more people because right now we're only at about three or four percent of the population that is so a B2C by COVID. model for for our viewers is a business to Sorry. consumer model. No, I just want to make sure that people understand. No, and it's so interesting. I mean, how worried are you? You know, you talked a little bit about the safety concerns for both eaters, you know, who, would, who go to farmers markets and you know, people who are picking up food or whatever. How worried are you about farmers right now in, in a couple of different ways? One, their health. And two, are you know, are we gonna lose the small farmers that have grown so substantially over the last, you know, 20 years who have filled these farmers markets and made them grow so, so much over the last, you know, two decades. Okay. So that's what the one, that's probably the most important question I had for the directors of disaster response. We wanted to understand from a medical perspective, somebody who's, done, who's been doing research on this for 20 years, what are the ramifications of this? What happens mm -hmm. when we don't run a quarantine program, a national program? What is the spread of this thing? How many people are going to be affected? And how can we kind of slow that growth, um, you know, lower that curve or flatten that curve or whatever terminology that the federal government decided to use? But the, the, the answer has always been limit your cross-contamination. If you can control CSA boxes literally from a farm and a farm is packing boxes on the farm and doesn't have to leave the farm, they're... they're just just minimize the amount of contact yeah. a farmer makes with the consumer, the better we're off for two reasons. One, we can we can basically identify the supply chain. We know that that box is coming from that farm. And if that farm gets COVID, we can shut off the supply chain 
Um, but more importantly, when you're at a farmer's market and you know, you're six feet away from a farmer um, or a farm worker, which is often the case, I'd say probably about 50 to 60, maybe 7% of the time, um, you're coming really close to your supply chain. And if those guys go down, that farm has to get shut down. And if they right. don't get shut down, the workers are going to protest um, for that farm to be shut down temporarily. And then we start talking about supply chain issues. That's probably the answer Absolutely. to your first question. Yeah. You know, second half of the question is, what happens to the producers? So right. the good thing is, and the reason we shouldn't actually worry about this whole movement is that we saw during Hurricane Sandy is that farm team movement actually grew three to 400% larger after Sandy. And that's because the federal government doesn't have the infrastructure in place to move quickly. They have the infrastructure to, to, to respond over a period of time. But in the short term, when people are starving or, or malnutrition, especially during a breakout like this, where you have to be super healthy, the local food system actually can respond within hours or, or even 24 hours. And so the local food movement and the farmers are playing an enormous part. Uh, they're strained. We're seeing numbers like four to 700% week over week growth in sales um, for a lot of these guys right now. So um, short term, they're going to play a big part. Long term, you know, I'm not an, agri- an economist and in in, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not, my background is not in agriculture in that sense. Sure. Um, my guess is going to be that the demand probably will decrease eventually. Um, and then the question will be, you know, how do we respond to this? And then historically, it's always been, you know, if you go back to the Great Depression, um, it's, it's monopolization, consolidation of the farmers. Yeah. Um, and that's where kind of a farm network really comes into place. Can we create a cooperative or an e-commerce model where farmers kind of share uh, a little bit of that profit or a share networks that support each other? Well, that's yeah. my real fear as I've been sort of, you know, talking to experts like you and talking to so many people after this is over, what happens? And I, I think we can't go back to like the business as usual model that we had. I think we have to, you know, figure out a way to support local and regional food systems in a very different way so that, you know, people aren't panic buying at grocery stores, that they're not, you know, concerned where their next, you know, box of produce is going to come from. And so I wonder how you feel about that. You know, how, how do you, you know, Platforms like yours, how do advocates, how do nonprofits sort of advocate for making sure that we don't go back to what we had because it, it wasn't working that well? Right. Um, well, the thing is, the good thing is that we're not going to go back to the way things were, right? I mean, eventually human, be- human behavior changes over time. If we're all quarantined for months at a time, you know, if you talk to any PTSD or psychologist, they're going to tell you human behavior changes. Um, if we're used to staying at home, um, we're most likely going to continue enjoying the time with their families, even after this thing is all over and spending more time at home. And for cooking, you know, four or five, six days out of the week, um, and only maybe ordering out once a week, if that, um, that's probably going to way that the way the human, uh, the consumer, the American consumer mm. is going to behave when this is all over. And so the entire model changes. Barbara Corcoran was actually on Instagram live, maybe two weeks ago, talking about this. She's not concerned with her older business. And she's in a unique position because she has tons of investments, but she's not concerned with her older businesses. She's concerned in seeing how the economy and how the market is going to change, what opportunities there are. There are a ton of opportunities um, for brands. Um, you know, some of the things that local food advocates can do um, is, is things that we've done. I, I can't speak for things we haven't done, I, you know, but I've spent two and a half weeks thinking about this. Showcasing local food makers. We're running giveaways every single day on Farm to Me's Instagram. Every day, free giveaways. We don't care what your economic or, 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 you know, your condition is, as long as you have access to internet. And that's a whole other issue. The question is, you know, how many people have access to internet? 
Um, a lot of people rely on public internet sources like libraries and things like that. That's something that we're concerned with. But if you have a neighbor who you know does not have access to internet, please, you know, promote local food makers and our giveaways. Give it to them, you know. Um, yeah. Promote producers. Um, if you're a local food maker, um, you should be selling e-commerce online. Um, if you're a restaurant, you should be going and setting up DoorDash and Uber Eats, um, getting yourself online. Uh, restaurants are seeing 200% growth if you're staying on board and doing e-commerce. Um, if you're yeah. a distributor and you're doing B2B, please don't shut down because your restaurants are closed. Look at other models. Look at a B2C model if you could partner with an e-commerce platform. If you can yeah. build an e-commerce platform, ask your owners to invest you know, 40,000 that they have into building an e-commerce platform. Um, tons of software engineers that are unemployed right now, they can help you. Absolutely. Um, did, you know, shifting from to a, a business to consumer model, meaning home mm-hmm. delivery, B2C model, from a B2B model, which is business to business, on to grocers and, and wholesale and other. and other. Um, looking at the CSA model, selling to farmer's markets, if you have a lot of capacity, start building CSA boxes and helping farmer's markets scale. They've got a 500% week over week increase in demand. They don't have enough vendors to the farmer's market to be able to fulfill that. They're going to need to switch to a CSA model and you guys have inventory. Um, Those are some great ways to kind of jump into it right away. Create a food pantry if you have your neighborhood and partner with Feeding America and get them to donate product to you and start canvassing up to buildings and um, finding, you know, vulnerable and older people that, that need food. These are all ways to help. Yeah, all interesting advice. You mentioned DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats. How could they sort of tap into what you've done? Do you know what I mean? Like, instead of just, you know, getting food from restaurants, how could they, you know, sort of incorporate some of the lessons you've learned? Is there an opportunity for that? Absolutely. So what's really weird, and it's hard to even imagine, is that in 20 and 12, during Hurricane Sandy, we didn't have Uber Eats, DoorDash, or Grubhub delivery. It's Mm -hmm. very strange to think of it that way. There was no way to get somebody to pick up food from a restaurant and deliver it five miles away to a house. You had to be within right. like a, a, a half a mile radius of a delivery. So sure. um, yes, they could definitely play a part. Um, the only model that I've thought of, and I'm sure there are many other models, is partnering Uber Eats, DoorDash, um, and other organizations um, with pantries, soup kitchens, farmers markets, doing delivery from there. Um, you know, the near, the government of New York City announced that Uber Eats, uh, or maybe it was the state of New York, I'm not sure if it was Governor Cuomo's office, um, but they announced that Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub are going to play a larger part in mm-hmm. distributing food. Um, I, I, I did have not had enough time to really delve into it. Maybe you have, and you can probably talk to it a little not bit. Not yet. But, um, but yeah, I re- I re- as you do, you read enough headlines and stuff, just kind of spreading this knowledge that that is a model right now that they're considering yeah. is something that um, people should look into. Um, the hard thing about Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub for people who have never used it before is that it basically, instead of grouping orders together, assigns you a individual driver to pick up food for you. Back in the day, if yeah. you order pizza from a pizzeria, they might have four or five orders. Um, and Grubhub and DoorDash basically have one order for you at a time. Um, and that's the way the model works. It picks up directly from a wholesale to your home. Um, yeah. so anyone, you know, organizations should think about how they can incorporate these guys into their new model. Cause there's a lot of them and they're onboarding, I think like 40,000 new drivers. So it's, it's a lot a day. And hopefully feel, you know, find out ways to protect those workers and make sure they're paid well, because that's often yeah. been a problem with, uh, with a lot of this, you know, uh, you transparency is such a huge part of what you do. And that word gets yeah. thrown around a lot. 
But I think transparency now in this crisis, especially, is more important than ever before. But you've had this real focus on on what you call chemical free food, um, uh, you know, and 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 making sure that that farmers and consumers, you know, are, are you know either eating very healthy food or or growing very healthy food. What, why is that more important now? Sure. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, what's really important is stocking up on fresh produce, um, stocking up on nutrient dense food. Um, you know, obviously if you can't get an organic or locally sourced apple, it is important for you to get, you know, any kind of apple. Um, but of course, you know, during crisis and times when we don't leave our house, we're in confined spaces, we don't have access to doctor's offices like we normally do. We don't have access to hospitals like we normally do. Um, you know, we're spending more time indoors. You're not getting your vitamin D. You're not getting your vitamin E. Um, you know, we can't go to the farm. We can't go to the grocery store because the grocery are empty. So we can't go to the grocery store as much as we can. We can't shop from restaurants like we normally could or our, our favorite juice shops that we normally could as readily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really important to eat healthy and prepare your immune system for, for if, you know, you get for the, for if, for the day, if you, if the day comes that you get sick any kind of sickness, cold, flu, um, you know, viruses, all those guys are still around. Those guys haven't disappeared. Um, and of course, you know, the coronavirus. Um, statistically speaking, um, you know, from med- speaking as a medical professional, uh, in order to kind of remove any kind of um, virus from the system, you know, from the, from, from, from the country, you need to have at least 60% of the country or you have at least 60% of the country vaccinated against that disease mm-hmm. no matter what that disease is um especially fast spreading disease so unfortunately you know probably most likely the majority of this country over 50 percent of the country will end up in contracting coronavirus at some point um most of those people are not going to get sick um you know but the point is that you know we need to keep our immune systems up um and you know so you know obviously eating healthy you know seasonally picked um, right food, naturally unprocessed food, um, tends to be the healthier yeah. route. Now, when you start talking about processed food, now you start talking about adding additives, things like that. They're going to, you know, extend its, its shelf life. Um, you know, of course, if you, if that's all you can get, that's, that's better than nothing. If you, if all you can get is, is frozen veggies and fruits, that's better than nothing. Um, but you know, oftentimes you go into, and I went into a family, you know, dollar to look for produce to see what, you know, I can pick up or anything mm-hmm. I can pick up. And most of the shelves are full of fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, meat, um, things like that. But then, you know, you look at the staples, rice, beans, um, Doritos, they're all gone. And I think people are really <laughs> stocking up on the wrong things here. Um, yeah. Those things aren't going away, guys. You know, you know, we, those, those players there, they have enough inventory to last in stocks for, you know, years and years in silos. Um, Produce is really the hard thing to get. And what's, what's really important here is talking about, you know, what kind of produce is, is really good for you. And that is seasonal produce. Um, yeah. you know, we need produce that is around now. The produce that's around now, guys, is the produce that's resistant to, you know, the different types of bacteria that exist now. And, and bacteria and viruses exist in different seasons, just like, you know, certain animals exist in certain climates or certain animals mm-hmm. exist in certain conditions like water or on Earth. And so you really want to eat seasonally right now because those nutrients are going to be incorporated into your cells and into your immune cells and keep you healthy. Um, yeah. Again, fresh fruit, fresh produce, fresh, anything that's been harvested um, as, you know, obviously as, as, as local as possible. Also, 
and then we're, you know, some pe- for some people that want to, they're going to debate that argument. Um, shelf life. Shelf sure. life is really important, um, especially now because most people don't want to go out. They don't want to go to the grocery store on a daily basis or every, you know, weekly basis. They want to shop two, three, four weeks at a time. Yeah. When you buy produce from a distributor or produce that has been shipped across the country or been shipped across the world, guess what? That produce is going to wilt and it's going to wilt yeah. quite fast. Um, you know, I've consulted on many restaurant projects and we always tell them that if you buy stuff from a distributor, it could be the exact same produce from the exact same farm. If you get it directly from the farm, that could sit on your shelf for two or three weeks. If you get it from a distributor, yeah. you're getting four or five days max on that product. So Absolutely. same product, um, seasonally picked locally is going to give you a four week shelf life, um, distributed from a grocery store, probably not that long. Um, and then you're going to end up tossing it or getting creative with it. So yeah, um, yeah, such supporting a local point. and seasonal is, is really, is really beneficial as well. Yeah. You don't want all that fresh compost to end up in the trash or the compost. You want people to benefit from it. And you've brought up some really good points that I think are sort of silver linings. If, if we can call them that from, from this crisis, you know, people are eating, you know, they're eating less processed food to some extent. I know you talked about people stocking up on Doritos, but people are cooking again. They're getting in their kitchens. You know, people have been ordering seeds because they want to grow their own produce. I mean, I think there are some real people are thinking about eating seasonally, like you mentioned. And because, you know, often, especially during this time of year, that produce lasts longer. We're talking about like tubers and potatoes and carrots and beets and things like that. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think people are learning to appreciate food in different ways again and appreciate um, where it comes from and, and how, you know, how we can't do without it. We, we literally need to eat several times a day. So, you know, those are, those are some of the silver linings. Before we, we started recording, you asked me um, what was the most interesting thing that, you know, I've seen over the last few weeks since this really, you know, since COVID-19 really hit the United States, who's inspired you the most lately? Who are you most excited about? Any business or is it your own or, you know, who, who's giving you some hope right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, some of the organizations were already mentioned, so I'll skip those guys. If you have, if you miss any part of this interview, you should probably go back and really slow it down <laughs> and take down some notes. There's a ton of information here. Um, Danny probably knows about most of it, but um, some of you guys may not know about some of the organizations, some of the models that have worked, and you can Google them right now. They'll be at the top of the Google results for the for, with articles about the, the models that they've run. Um, Another organization that's really inspired me is an organization I reached out to two and a half weeks ago because they have an e-commerce platform, um, and that is Milk Run. Uh, Milk mm-hmm. Run is an organization that was started in Portland, Oregon about three and a half years ago. Um, again, with that kind of uh, premise you know, uh, to support um, fresh and local food, all the things we kind of talk about, right? Um, keeping people at kind of the, the center of their model, the core of their mm-hmm. model, um, you know, making deliveries to people's homes, making deliveries to vulnerable populations. And when I speak to the owners at Milk Run, um, you know, they're really in line with this idea of also supporting the disaster relief sites like farmers markets, like yeah. food pantries, um, and partnering with organizations like DoorDash, Uber Eats, or other distributors to kind of handle that last mile, uh, along with volunteers. So their models really in line with what I'm working on. Um, and they can tap into our network of producers and our distributors. So that's an organization I'm really excited to work with um, and bring to other states. Um, just as an announcement, we're moving to New York and, and, and to Michigan in the next couple wow. of weeks with those guys. And there are going to be tons of organizations like that, e-commerce, 
um, that focus again on the stuff that we talked about, CSA boxes, two mm-hmm. people's homes, two community organizations, and ultimately two vulnerable populations through disaster relief and donations. Um, and of course, our own, our own organization right now during triage and during disaster relief, we take um, product from farms and connect them to disaster relief organizations during Sandy. We worked, we worked with 35. We're kind of hoping to get to the point where we're working with five or 600 um, during this pandemic, just due to the fact that we, you know, it's been eight years and we have a much larger network and we're able to do that. Sure. Um, so you can always go on a farm to me um, to find out more about that. You can donate um, to support that program. Um, and uh, otherwise, get involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So again, any which way you can. Yeah. Absolutely. Such good advice. And so your website, I love it. It's uh, www.farm2.me. So you can Google it, farm to me, but it's it's very creative. Um, such a pleasure to talk with you. I'm so glad for all the things that you're doing and all the sort of inspiration you're, you're putting out there. Uh, just a reminder that this episode will also appear on our podcast, Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. You can find out more information about Farm to Me on our website, foodtank.com. Another reminder is please join us back here at 5 p.m. when I'll be uh, interviewing Jason Lusk, uh, an agricultural economist from Purdue University. Thanks so much to you, uh, Gary. Please stay safe. Can I say one last thing? Of course. For all the young people that are in university and high school um, in their 20s and 30s, who are thinking about what their new career choice is going to be or what they should do right now, get involved in local food. It is imperative for you to just jump the gun and get involved in any organization you can get involved in. If you think it is a dream and a pipe dream and it can never happen, 10 years ago, I was that person. I never thought I'd be sitting in front of Danny Nirenberg on Food Tank. And 10 years later on a 10-year anniversary, um, you know, I'm doing this interview. So please get involved in any which way you can. We need you. Awesome. Great advice. Again, sir, stay safe and stay well. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.